Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome to podcast number 45, the second part of my Q&A, answering all of your questions. In the last podcast, I chose to answer seven of the top questions and I answered them for you guys. And in this podcast, there's a couple more that have come through. So I'm going to answer another eight um, that I think will benefit the majority of our listeners today. So as I mentioned in the last podcast, this is the first time that I've done a Q&A series where I've answered your questions. So if you guys do enjoy it, please be sure to leave me a review and let me know that so that I can potentially do more in the future and answer some more of your questions. And right before we jump into today's podcast, I just wanted to let you know that it is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method Coaching Service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gut Mind Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in, and the first program you will see lasting and sustainable results from. Let us show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. That's leangutmindmethod.com. Now let's get to our listener questions today in part two of the podcast. Alrighty, question one from our first listener. She said, IBS eating and FODMAPs. If I don't do it, how will I determine what will be fine or what will not be fine for my tummy? So I think what the listener here is asking is if she doesn't do low FODMAPs, how does she know what triggers and reacts um, to her sensitive tummy? So I guess the first thing to start by saying is that not everybody with a sensitive tummy needs low FODMAP diet. The majority of my clients don't do it at all. It is an overly restrictive diet and it absolutely needs to be done um, under the guidance of a professional like a registered dietitian. So what I would recommend that you do is listen to um, the podcast with Dr. B and Dr. Serena. So that's podcast number 33, number nine, and number 13. You'll get a really great idea of just the basis of gut health overall. And we talk a lot about IBS in those podcasts as well. Then after that, I'd recommend listening to podcast number 41 with Chloe McLeod. And we talk all about FODMAPs in there. And unfortunately, I can't really provide much more advice um, than that because gut health is a super tricky area. It's very complex. You know, we know that most people don't actually need a low FODMAP diet and following a low FODMAP diet long term can actually be more detrimental to your health um, and particularly to your mental health because it is very stressful. But figuring out what you need to do and foods you need to avoid, foods you need to test because there might be potential triggers, that's so personalized. And I absolutely cannot give you guidance around that without knowing you. So I I need you to go and see an expert such as a gut health dietitian. Um, You can ask your doctor for a referral. You can ask your doctor to a referral to a local gastroenterologist and they'll have a dietitian attached to their clinic. Um, Or as an alternative, I actually offer a three-pack gut health consultation service. I do this online so I can see clients all over 
over the world, but I only operate in a three pack, um, three package gut health consultation because I know that it, one consultation for gut health does absolutely nothing. It's such a complex area and it requires a lot of trial and error. So if you'd like to work with me in my three package gut health um, consultations, you can send me an email at admin at leanneward.com.au. That's admin at leanneward.com.au and we can send you some more information. But I really, really cannot stress the importance of seeing a professional to guide you through this area because the biggest mistake I see people doing is trying to do it themselves. It is such a complex area. There are so, so, so many issues at play and you need to hire a professional. You need to invest in your health because it will pay off for your future. You know, stop thinking about the cost of the appointment and start thinking about the opportunity cost. You know, people say to me, oh, I can't afford it. That's BS. You can afford anything that you want in your life. You know, I I um, have sold things that matter a lot to me in the past in order to further myself as a dietitian, to attend trainings that I didn't think I'd be able to afford, to afford business coaches. I, I said initially I can't afford it, but I looked at my life. I sold a bunch of things. I stopped some sus- subscriptions that I, I wasn't using anymore, all that sort of thing. If you If it matters enough to you, you will find the money to get to the bottom of it. And your health should matter because it's not the cost of the appointment that you should be worried about. It's the cost in terms of your quality of life and your future. You know, what will your quality of life be like if you don't get these issues sorted. So as I mentioned before, unfortunately, I'm not able to say how to determine what foods you may or may not react to. I need so much more information. I need to know more about you. I need to know more about your background, your symptoms, your health issues, your diet, what you do for work, your family history, the things you do on a day-to-day basis, how stressed you are, how much sleep you get, what medications you're on. All of these things play a part in gut health symptoms. So you can see that I can't just give you one or two recommendations because food is such a complex area, but gut health isn't just about food. There are so many other facets to understand and to be across. So please go and see a dietitian one-on-one rather than just floundering around trying to do it yourself and potentially doing more damage to your gut health in the long term. All right, now question number two. Um, please share a rundown of what your exercise week looks like, uh, weights, cardio, rest days, etc. So my exercise week looks very different depending on what my goals are. So at the moment, my goal is to gain some muscle mass. So I'm eating in a slight calorie surplus. Last year, um, so this podcast is, we're in February at the moment. Last year in October, I went to um, Hawaii and my goal then was a little bit different. I was aiming to maintain my muscle mass, but actually drop a little bit of fat loss before my my beach holiday. So my training and my nutrition was a little bit different. Back then I was doing four weight sessions a week, two 20 minute hit sessions or a 5k jog each week. So I was doing um, roughly sort of four to five days of training a week with only 20 minutes of some high intensity cardio built in there. My goal this year and at the current moment is actually to put on a little bit of muscle mass. And I know the easiest way to do that is to eat in a small calorie surplus. You can gain muscle in a, in a calorie deficit. It's very difficult to do though. If you're, if you're serious about a goal of putting on muscle mass, it's much easier to do in a calorie surplus. So I'm eating about 15, 20% above my maintenance, which for me easily equates to just one to two extra snacks throughout the day. So it's basically what I normally eat, my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And instead of just one snack in between, I'm upping that to sort of about two snacks to just boost up my um, um, energy intake in my diet a little bit to make it a little bit easier to build muscle. So my training at the moment is five weight sessions a week. I'm not doing any um, sort of like cardio that I've scheduled in, just the steps that I do day to day, which honestly aren't very much. Um, I don't I don't have a very active job. I work from my computer and my desk most of the time. I have a standing desk, which is great, but I don't get in many um, active steps throughout the day. 
So at the moment, my current training regime on five weight sessions a week. Mondays, I generally do my squat day. Tuesday is my first upper body workout of the week. Wednesday is a deadlift day. Thursday is generally a rest day. Um, I may or may not get a walk-in. Sometimes I like to go for an hour walk early in the morning. But if I'm busy with work, client appointments, um, working with brands, that sort of thing, it may or may not happen. So Thursday is a rest day. If I can, I love to get in a, 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 just a gentle walk, listening to a podcast, go down to the coffee shop. If I can't, it's just the steps that I get in throughout my day. Friday is my second upper body day for the week. Saturday is my hip thrust day and Sunday is a rest day. Again, I'd love to say that on an ideal Sunday, I'd go for a, a wonderful hike out in the rainforest, but being completely honest, this doesn't really happen that often. I normally end up working on Sundays as well. So it's just sort of like a um, rest day. I try to be as active as possible. I go to the shops, I do my meal prep. I might wander to the coffee shop and back, just general steps around the house, doing some housework and that sort of thing. So five dedicated weight sessions a week. Um, Often I aim for at least four and the fifth session is sort of like a bonus. Um, But just because I train this way doesn't mean that you guys need to. My goals could be very different to a lot of a lot of people's goals. Um, you know, I'm not in a deficit. I don't have a fat loss goal or a weight loss goal at the moment. My goal is, um, you know, muscle, muscle maintenance. And for a lot of people, they're trying to do the fat loss and the muscle gain at the same time, which is basically like saying you want to drive your car super efficiently, but as fast as it can go. So it's really like, it just takes so much longer. I'd recommend choosing one goal and rolling with that, either trying to lose some fat and then after that gain some muscle mass or gain some muscle mass and then strip down and put yourself in a deficit to drop some body fat. It's just really, really difficult to do together, particularly if you're not under the guidance of a professional who actually knows what they're doing in this area. Um, So, and also I'd like to add that I do change up my training program every eight to 12 weeks. I don't train like this all the time. Um, You really need to keep adapting your program to keep getting results as well. So I actually have a coach who writes my programming for me um, and I also get very bored easily. So staying in the gym and just doing five workouts a week for the next five years is not me. Um, So yes, I've been weight training for the last five years, but I've been doing that in very different ways. And I'm actually at the point where I'm getting a little bit of just board of gym day to day. And I'm looking for more of like a functional fit gym where I can actually just maintain my strength, but work on things like flexibility and functional strength and conditioning as well. So I jump around between different gyms, um, different training programs, different trainers as well, just to keep my body kind of like on its toes and trying different things. So I'm not bored because I really do love exercise, but I need to love what I'm doing in terms of loving exercise. So just because I train this way doesn't mean that it's right, but it gives you an idea of of what works for me and my body um, at the moment for my current goals. Alrighty. Question three, any recommendations for food for healthy skin? Um, So probably the first point I'd like to make for females in particular, ensure that you have adequate healthy fats in your diet. They're so important um, in terms of um, inflammation as well, particularly for your skin. I'm going to take the the, um, point here that when you're saying food for healthy skin, you're meaning like acne and pimples and that sort of thing. Um, So the latest evidence around nutrition and skin health does show that following a low GI diet is really important, particularly for acne and for um, pimples as well. So this means that you're going to consume foods that release energy slowly into the diet and focus on lots of whole foods, not processed foods or foods from a packet. So eat plenty of salads, vegetables, whole fruits, nuts, grains, seeds, legumes, and the more color, the better, because every different type of fruit and every different type of veggie and every different type of grain, all the different colors, they all have different vitamins, minerals, nutrients in them. So you want to get as much variety and diversity as, as you can. Now, zinc's a really important nutrient, particularly to maintain healthy skin, um, particularly for those that suffer from acne. So zinc... um 
your skin actually contains around 20% of, of your body's zinc. So if you're lacking in zinc in your diet, um, skin issues could be a problem. So zinc is found in things like fish and seafood, eggs, and also whole grains. So ensure that you're getting some of them in your diet as well, because zinc is particularly important for healthy skin. Now, if you find that your skin is particularly inflamed or it's dry, um, as I said, focusing on essential fatty acids can actually be really helpful because essential fatty acids can contribute to um, the moisture in your skin and actually help to repair it and fight some of that inflammation as well. So I'm talking about foods such as um, salmon and oily fish, nuts and seeds, things like extra virgin olive oil. Um, They're all um, really high in your essential fatty acids. Now, selenium is another mineral that um, actually can help to maintain your skin's elasticity and firmness. So this is a really important mineral. Um, A lot of people know that it's found in Brazil nuts. Two to three Brazil nuts a day um, provides basically your required amount of selenium, but you can also get it in things like whole grains, in meat and in garlic as well. Um, And selenium has actually been shown um, this mineral to help to reduce um, sun damage as well. Now, the next one is beta carotene. Um, So a lot of people know that this is an it's an antioxidant and it converts into vitamin A in the body. So this helps us to grow and repair um, body tissues. Um, it can also be shown in the research that it can prevent um, premature aging as well and help to reduce some of the environmental damage as well. So I'm talking about foods, um, your orange types of foods, so your carrots, your sweet potatoes and your apricots. And then lastly, I don't think we can talk about diet and skin health without talking about milk because that's something, or dairy, because that's something that a lot of people ask me about. And to be honest, the jury is still out. We still don't have conclusive evidence around milk or dairy and acne. Um, There is some research that's reported that um, people who suffer from acne have a higher reported intake of milk, particularly skim milk. So a lot of the research, although it's kind of inconclusive around dairy and acne, it does point more towards skim milk um, and even things like whey protein powder potentially contributing to um, worsening of acne symptoms. But as I've said, there's actually been no randomized control trials that have um, shown a direct association between milk or dairy and acne. Um, so it, we just haven't been able to establish whether or not it is a issue or not for people who suffer from acne. So more high quality research needs to be conducted in this area before we can really give out specific recommendations. Um, if you do feel like dairy is a is a big trigger for you, for your acne or for any other skin condition, you could try just removing it from your diet for six to eight weeks, but you need to be very strict about it and completely cut it out. It needs to be, um, I've talked to dermatologists before for at least um, they recommend eight weeks um, to really see any sort of effect on your skin and on your acne. Um, But if you're going to do that, please do that under the guidance of a health professional like a dietitian. Um, So if you do consume a lot of dairy in your diet and you cut that out, you could be lacking in calcium, vitamin D, protein, um, and other essential nutrients as well. So make sure if you've got to um, cut something out, make sure you're replacing and supplementing with that, um, those nutrients as well. Question four, uh, reverse dieting. How do you go from skinny to strong? I want to know about muscle growth and nutrition. Okay, so reverse dieting is um, its a tricky thing for a lot of people to do by themselves. After a period of dieting, most people should theoretically put themselves through a reverse diet to try and reverse some of those metabolic adaptions that the dieting has caused. You know, a lot of people will lose weight, they'll get to their goal weight, then they'll revert completely back to their old habits and they'll gain a lot of that weight back. So you actually need to gradually increase your calories week by week um, so that your body metabolically can adapt to um, the increase in calories slowly over time. 
time, not just go straight back to your old diet or straight back to your maintenance. So it is really important to link in with a professional who understands this area and knows what they're doing. Somebody like a sports dietitian would be a great idea. Um, But ideally, in terms of reverse dieting, you want to slowly increase your calories week by week um, because it is much easier to grow lean muscle mass in a calorie surplus, as I mentioned. So if your goal is to go from, um, you know, skinny to strong or from lean to putting on some additional muscle mass, again, it can be done in a deficit, but it is really, really, really difficult. And it's just so much easier to do it in a surplus. So, so why wouldn't you? So increase your calories slowly and take yourself um, a little bit above maintenance to hit a calorie surplus and do this with professional input as well. Um, Because, you know, if you are going to try and do this in a deficit, you really need to ensure that you're hitting all your micronutrient and macronutrient goals. Um, And if you're doing it in a surplus, obviously that's a lot easier to do, but you don't just want to be chowing down on, on, you know, kind of junk food calories to get those extra calories in. You still want to make sure they're good quality calories. And in terms of building muscle, um, you also need that individualized progressive overload resistance training program to build proper lean muscle mass. You know, if you're aiming to put on lean muscle mass, a couple of spin and pump classes and a boxing class a week is simply just not going to cut it. You do need a progressive overload training program written by a professional for you, for your body type, and you need some individualized nutrition guidance as well. And then the third point, so one, um, try to do it in a calorie surplus is so much easier, but gradually increase your calories slowly week by week when you're reverse dieting. So you don't blow out too much. You don't want to stray too far away from your maintenance because even though it's easy to gain muscle mass in a huge um, surplus, if you're in too big a surplus, you will also gain considerable amount of fat mass as well. So you don't want to stray too far away from your maintenance. Um, Secondly, you need that progressive overload resistance type program. And thirdly, especially if you're a female, understand that putting on visible lean muscle mass can take years to see. You know, I've been weight training for over five years and people now only say to me, oh, you know, it looks like you lift. It looks like you train. You know, I've been training for five years now. You're not just going to instantly put on muscle mass overnight. You do need to give it time. And for females, it can take years, particularly if you don't have a professional working with you. So just give it time and understand that good things take time. So I hope that helps to answer um, your question around reverse dieting. Question five, what is the best approach to decrease body fat? Well, to decrease body fat, you need one thing and one thing only. You need a calorie deficit. Um, You need to eat less than what you currently do. But the easiest way to do that is just to start with small changes. So pick what I call the lowest hanging fruit first. Where are the bulk of your calories coming from? Is it um, your weekend drinking habits? Is it your Friday night takeout? Is it the soft drink that you drink every single day? Do you put three sugars in your coffees each day and you have four coffees a day? What is the lowest hanging fruit? Just pick one thing to cut out and you don't need to put yourself in a massive calorie deficit, even just a small one. As long as you're consistent over time, you will drop body fat. And then once you sort of hit a period where you might store for a little while, pick another thing to sort of change up in your diet as well. The problem with most people is that, and I've done different podcasts on, you know, the biggest mistakes um, in terms of losing fat. Please go back and and listen to some of them. You'll pick up some really golden advice, um, particularly around Angie. She's an expert in this area. Um, The podcast that we did together, I think the mistakes you're making when you're trying to lose fat, I think it was termed something like that. Um, go back and listen to that. But the biggest thing that people do is they try to change everything at once. It's just not sustainable and they can only last a couple of weeks and they revert back to their old habits. 
poor. They're just not consistent enough and they don't give it enough time. So start with small changes. Pick the lowest hanging fruit first. And for a lot of people, it's just removing packaged and ultra processed foods and focusing on whole foods. Even though you're eating food that's marketed as low carb and high protein and fat loss friendly, if it comes in a packet and it's got more than three or four ingredients on the label, it's a processed food, guys. Let's not fool anybody. So start by going back to basics with your snacks and focusing on whole foods. I'm talking whole pieces of fruit. I'm talking nuts, um, boiled eggs, vegetable sticks, and some hummus. I'm talking... um, what else? Um, maybe some Greek yogurt, um, you know, a bit of trail mix. Let's focus on whole foods and foods that you actively know the ingredients to that you actually need to chew for a little bit longer to break it down. So your body actually starts to recognize that you're feeling fuller each day and also to decrease your body fat. Yes, you want to slightly decrease your calorie intake, but you also want to slightly increase your energy expenditure. So the amount of Um, energy that you're burning each day. And the easiest way to do that is to increase your step count. So get yourself a wearable, um, a watch that counts your step count or a pedometer or something. And say, for example, you're averaging 3000 steps a day. Try to increase that to 4,000 or try to increase that to 5,000. Just that little bit more, two little steps in each direction, increase your energy expenditure a little bit, decrease your energy input a little bit from the calories that you eat, and then you'll you'll see those um, results reflected in decreasing your body fat um, small amount over time. But consistency absolutely is key. Question six, best advice for nutrition and dietetic students trying to break into the field? All right, this is a good one, guys, because I get so many people asking me this all the time and saying, you know, it's so competitive now, it's so hard to get a job. I can promise you that I graduated what, nearly seven years ago now, and it was just as difficult to get a job back then as it is now. So what you first need to understand is that Grades don't matter as much as you think they do. Yes, they're not going to hold you back, but there are a lot of nutrition and dietetic students out there who are getting GPAs of six or seven. Nutrition and dietetic students are brilliantly smart. It is a really tough degree. So grades aren't going to set you apart as much as what you think. It is important to get good grades. Yes, if you can. But I promise you that employers will hire somebody with real life experience who who networks and understands the profession more than somebody with just good grades. You know, you need to go out there and get some real life experience. The biggest thing we see when I used to work at the hospital, I'd take nutrition dietetic students on their prac. They didn't have any real life experience. They had no idea how to talk to people. They had no idea what elderly people might be going through or somebody who'd just been diagnosed with diabetes might be going through. Go out there and get some real life experience. That is the biggest thing that will help you to break into the field. Go overseas and volunteer in Africa for six months. Go volunteer in um, in the soup kitchen in your local city. Go and drop into the drop-in diabetes clinic and just sit there and, and understand what these people go through. You know, to ch- to really affect change, to be a great dietitian, to be a great nutritionist, you need to know what drives people. You need to see what they're going through day to day. You need to understand what they struggle with so you can get on get at their level you know they don't teach you these skills in uni and secondly you need to network who you know really does matter so get out there and meet people but don't just meet people and say you know I'd love for you to get me a job here meet people by offering them value to their lives you know experienced and great dietitians and nutritionists they're busy. They are really, really busy. They likely don't have time to mentor you or just go grab a coffee. You need to find a way to add value to their lives. You know, do they have a dog? Offer to walk it for them for free. Do do they, you know, are you really great at tech things and designing and is their website terrible? Offer to upgrade their website or design them a new business card for free. You know, I get hundreds of emails a year from students 
But the ones that stand out to me are the students who offer to add value to my life without expecting anything in return. These are the ones who I want you know, I want them to work for me. I want to mentor them. I want to help them get their foot in the door because they're trying to help me without anything in return. So I want you guys to think about networking, but actually adding value to other people's lives. Do nice things for other people. And I promise you that nice things will, will come back tenfold to you. So really think about that. Yes, grades are important, but get some real life experience under your belt get to know who your clients are going to be, where they're coming from, what drives them, what's important to them and network. Get to know other people in your profession who can help give you a leg up or can teach you a few things where they went wrong and they wish they didn't, you know, have, wouldn't have done that or something like that. So you can learn from them and not make the same mistakes that potentially they did in their career. I'd love to, to talk to people about that and to help mental people. But when people send me emails saying, Hey, do you want to, do you want to catch a coffee? I don't have an hour or two in my day to just go meet everybody for coffee every week. You need to, to actively be adding value to someone's lives. And that's not just for nutrition and dietetic students. That's for any profession out there at all, or any, any human being, you know, when we do things and we don't expect anything in return, that's that's just called being a, a beautiful human being. So I really encourage you guys to do more of that. You know, hold a door open for somebody um, when they're not expecting it or offer to carry the old lady's bags across the road when, you know, when she's not expecting it. When we do nice things for other people, this makes us great human beings and it makes the world a much, much better place. So I'd encourage everybody to do that, not just nutrition and dietetic students. Question seven, are you naturally slim and toned or does diet and exercise play a major role? This is a, mm, this is a difficult question to answer because I feel like a lot of people want to hide behind their genetics as an excuse. Like, oh, I'm big burnt or my parents are big. Oh, it's more difficult for me to lose weight than anybody else. But what I want to say first is that yes, genetics can play some role in how much you weigh, your body shape, your body type, etc. But there are a lot of things that you can do to change how you look or how slim you are or how lean and toned you are. So don't use that as a cop-out excuse. I'm not naturally anything. I'm just me and I work hard every single day to stay fit and healthy. And I promise you that if I ate crap all day long and I never worked out, I promise you I would not look like this. I didn't win a genetic lottery. You know, I work hard for what I have every single day and I encourage you to do the same. Don't don't stereotype people. Or don't look at people and think, oh, it's easy for them or they're naturally slim or whatever. You need to work hard for it because I work hard for it every single day. And I think a lot of people just think that, oh, it's so much easy for her. She, yes, I have a lot more knowledge than other people because I've spent years and years at university studying this, but I also, you know, I walk the walk. I, what I, what I say, I do, I practice what I preach every single day. I'm a firm believer that you can love your body, but still want to work on it. And that is absolutely okay. You can absolutely love your body, but work on being a better version of you. Those things don't need to be one or the other. You don't have to choose between them. You can love your body, respect your body, but still work hard on it every day. You know, I don't compete with anybody but myself. Every single day I'm working on being a better version of me, a better version of me than I was yesterday, last month, or even last year. So I want you guys to remember, don't judge somebody for the way that they look. They could be overweight, but they could be fit, fast, strong, and actually completely healthy. Or they could look very, very thin and be super unhealthy. So don't worry about how I look. Focus on yourself, focus on your own goals, and stop judging people for what they look like or or anything like that, and just focus on yourself. Because the only person you should really be worried about or competing with is yourself, and try to make yourself the best, healthiest version and happiest version that um, that you can possibly be. 
And our final question, number eight, does eating your macro requirements really matter? This is a good question. I wanted to end on it because I feel like, again, I get a lot of questions about this all the time and it's a very confusing, um, I guess, subject for a lot of people. So the answer to this really does depend on your goals. Does eating towards your macro requirements really matter? Depends on your goals. If your goal is body fat loss, macros, to be honest, don't really matter. It's really about eating in a calorie deficit. But if you're chasing a body composition goal, you want to be leaner, stronger, toner, then yeah, macros matter. You know, you need protein for muscle growth. You need adequate carbs for energy, for mood, for cellular production. You need healthy fats for energy, hair, skin, fighting inflammation. All of your macronutrients matter, but tracking them and hitting them really depends on your goals. So, you know, at the end of the day, just to lose weight. If you just want to lose weight and that is it, don't worry so much about your macros. You just need to be in a calorie deficit, you know, and that's all that really matters at the end of the day. Having your macros tweaked will be very helpful to keep you full and satiated and satisfied. Um, But realistically, what's king for losing weight is calories. Calories are absolutely king at the end of the day. And if you're trying to lose weight, you can't overeat your calories for the sake of getting in enough of your macros. So say, for example, you don't hit your protein target. um, If you overeat your calories, you're not going to lose weight just because you didn't get your protein target in. So that's where I think a lot of people go wrong. They're like, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm counting my macros. I didn't get my, I didn't hit my carb intake today. So I ate more carbs to ensure I I hit my macros, but I'm not losing weight. Calories are absolutely king for fat loss. For body composition, macronutrients matter as well. So say, for example, you're a female and you know, you're trying to hit your protein target. Um, For protein targets around for each meal for females, it should be about 0.4 grams per kilogram per meal. So someone who weighs 70 kilos would want to get 28 grams of protein in each meal. But if that meal that you're eating has a ton of carbs in it and a ton of fat in it, you're going to blow out your calorie budget trying to achieve your protein intake as well. So you need to decide whether you ditch the protein to stay within your calorie budget and lose fat or whether you actually aim for your protein each meal and you're going to need to plan it better next time, particularly when you're eating out. Hitting your macros is quite difficult when you're eating out. So I'm not a massive fan of macro tracking long-term. I do recognize it's helpful for some people, particularly in the early days, to teach them what macronutrients are contained within different foods, teach them how to build nourishing meals. But I personally like to, for most people, um, you know, just use the plate guide. If you've got a really uh, a particular body composition goal, you're competing in a bikini competition or you're doing a bodybuilding comp or something like that, then you're probably going to need to track your calories and your macronutrients as well to achieve that body composition goal. But if it's purely just fat loss, you can do that using just the plate guide as a starting point anyway. So I personally, when I'm building my meals, I don't track anything. I don't track my calories. I don't track my macros. I have a very high level knowledge of this. uh, So I'm very skilled in this area. I need to make that clear to you guys. But when I'm building my meals, I start with my salads. I always say to myself, where are my veggies and salads coming from? I need half a plate of veggies and salads. All right, that's it's there. It's on my plate. Great. Next, where is my protein coming from? I need a quarter of a plate of protein or a palm sized piece of protein or 0.4 grams a kilo of protein per meal. Depending on how you look at things for simplicity's sake, I want a quarter of my plate to be protein. Next, I add a thumb sized amount of healthy fat onto my plate, maybe some avocado, maybe some extra virgin olive oil. And then lastly, I want the last quarter of my plate to be carbohydrates. And that's my meal. You know, I find a lot of people will 
choose a meal and it's based on, you know, heavily on carbohydrates and fat, then they're scrambling to make up their protein and they're scrambling to make up their, their vegetables and their fiber intake. And that's where they go wrong because they're blown out their calories already because they've started with the carbs and the fat rather than starting with the protein and the fiber. So I find that this is a really simple tool, the building your plate guide, starting with veggies first, then adding your protein on, then adding a thumb sized piece of healthy fat, then adding your carbs. I find it's a lot more simple than tracking macros and tracking everything you eat. And this formula actually ensures that you're eating whole foods as well. You're not just scanning in prepackaged foods into an app because that's not what I consider health. And I just want you guys to, to be wary of that and, and keep that as you know a bit of food for thought that when you're eating out a lot or when you're eating foods in a packet, you don't have as much control over the macronutrients because the food's process is already done for you. When you're building your own plate and you get to choose like you know, mostly pure sources of carbs, such as I'm going to put some potato on my plate, or I'm going to put a bit of corn, or I'm going to put some pasta on my plate. And then my veggies and salad are going to be heaps of, you know, this big cow slaw mixed with some extra carrots and beans and mushrooms. And then my protein is a is a nice piece of salmon. Um, and then my healthy fat is a little bit of extra virgin olive oil on my salad or something like that. I'm building each component of my meal rather than just um, ordering something off Uber Eats or eating it out of a packet. So I have control around the amounts of things that I add to my plate. I personally think that that's a, an easier way to hit your macro and your fat loss goal rather than weighing everything and tracking it in an app. So I hope that answers your question around macros do matter, particularly for me. And I, I definitely take them into consideration for my clients but they are a complex area for a lot of people. Um, And if your goal is fat loss, calories are absolutely king and don't overeat your macros um, just to try and get your certain amount of macros in if your goal is fat loss, because you're not going to lose fat if you blow out your energy budget. Um, Calories are king, but you need to plan better so that you're able to get your macros in within your calorie budget. And if you're not able to hit your macros because your energy budget is too tight or you're on too low calories, you probably need to reassess your goal. Have you been dieting for too long? Have you been in a deficit for too long? Do you need to actually increase your calories or increase your energy um, output, the amount you exercise or train to give yourself a little bit more food for fuel? because it can be really difficult to hit your macro targets when you've been in a calorie deficit for a long time. So again, just another thing to think about and um, linking in with a, a professional like a sports dietitian is always, always a good idea, guys. So I hope that answers question number eight. Does eating your macro requirements really matter? And that uh, brings me to the conclusion of the second Q&A podcast, guys. That's all eight questions answered. Please take the time to leave me a review and let me know if you enjoyed these um, question and answer segments, if you found them helpful. And if you have um, extra questions that you'd like me to answer on future podcasts, leave me a review and ask your question in the review or send me a DM or an email as well. Um, And thank you for listening to this podcast. And don't forget that I've got a few um, spare spots in my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. If you're ready to take control of your health and actually finally start achieving your goals in a sustainable way with results that will last, let me know and you can apply for my premium coaching program off my website, www.leangutmindmethod.com. That's leangutmindmethod.com. And I will catch you guys in the next podcast and I hope you all have a brilliant week.